Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Yuma, daf Nun Tet, page 59. So we have a couple things we want to discuss on, not a very particularly long daf, but the first is a reference back to the Mishnah, where it said the following, that the Kohen Gadda would sprinkle the blood literally on the pure of the altar. Um, and we explained yesterday that it meant that this was some part or the top or some area on the Mizbeach, um, the gold Mizbeach, but it wasn't clear what what's the purpose of this word Tohoro. Like, why is it described this way? So the Gemara asked that obvious question, my Tohoro, I'm a Rabbi Rav Shela, Plagi de Mizbeach, Kedza Amri Inche, Tahar Tihira Vahabe Plagi de Yoma. Right, so Rabbi Bar Rav Shela says that it means half of the altar, plague de Mizbeach, right? Because what people would say, and so he sort of quotes a phrase, but it's interesting, the phrase is in Aramaic, right? And this was a Mishnah, so this is an Amor com- commenting on a sort of, I guess, common Tanaitic phrase, right? Um, is tihar, tihar Tahara, right? Which basically means uh, that there's a light, the light at noon shines in the middle of the day, and so what Toharom here means is, is that how half of the altar would mean the midpoint of the altar wall. So it's not the top of the Mizbeach, but it would be the side of the Mizbeach. And again, it's based on this Tahar Taharo, Tahar Tahara. Now, this seems to be a very interesting explanation to me because, I don't know, we're using the word Tahor here. And so to me, the obvious explanation or connection would be something about, you know, that uh, something on Yom Kippur, you right? You know, Titaru, that somehow we become pure, we we get atoned, and that like it's totally not the direction that the Gemara goes in. The Gemara then says, okay, we're going to contradict that, right? Metive, so they're going to bring a, a, a an objection here. Kishirhumazet, that when the Kohen Gadol sprinkles, lo lo he's not supposed to sprinkle that blood on the ash or on top of the coals, right? So this would be not on the side, but this would be on top of the Mizbeach. Rather, he needs to rake the coals to the sides. So in other words, he moves the coals to the sides, and then he sprinkles, which would mean he's doing it on the top of the Mizbeach and not on the side of it. So then Rabbi Shela hears this, and he says, Right, so he says, "No, you're right. That's what it must mean—the word tehoro—that it's the exposed area of the mizbeach." And they quote a pasuk from uh, Shmot, chapter twenty-four, verse ten, right, where it says, "Uketsem uh, hashamayim la tohar," that the that the like of the heaven uh, for clearness. So that there, this is the idea here that uh, somehow. Um, you know, Tahoro or Tahar has this idea of of, of clarity or, or being clear or something uh, like that. But again, it doesn't seem the obvious of where this actually uh, where this actually should go. And just to give a little bit of context here, um, that the the context of the of the parak here is Moshe comes um, and um, you know he says to to Aaron and Nadav and Avihu and the, and the 70 elders that they should, you know, uh, they should, uh, they should prostrate themselves from afar. Um, and then everybody sort of comes and they say, 
they hear, you know, the words of what Hashem wanted. Um, this is all sort of part of Matan uh, Torah. Uh, and then he sends, you know, the young people and the children, they give these, they give these olot um, and they give zvachim. And then he takes the blood and he puts it into basins and he puts part of the blood onto the Mizbech. That's on Pasuk Vav. Then he reads the Sefer Habrit and he says that into the ears of the people, right? And he says, you know, Kol Asher, then the people answer, Kol Asher Dibar Hashem, Nasev Nishma, right? Everything that Hashem says, we will do and we will listen. Then again, in Pazukhad, Moshe takes the blood and he sprinkles it on the people, right? And he says, Dam Habrit Asher Hashem right? He says, this is the blood of the breed itself. And then, Moshe, Aaron, Nadav, and Abihu, they, they, they ascend. Um, and then finally, this Pasuk, Vayiru et Elohei Yisrael, V'tachad raglav k'maseh, l'ivnat ha-sapir, u'ke'etzam ha-shamayim latohar. And so that they, somehow, so Vayiru, they sort of saw, perceived God, and beneath God's feet, they saw this sort of like sapphire brick and, that, and the appearance of the heavens for clarity. So I also just want to suggest that I don't think it's simply based this connection finally on this pasuk itself, but it also takes place within a parak where there is a lot of sprinkling of blood also. Um, so I just so, want to, yeah. I just I know it's not my turn yet, but I just want to say I found even before you've now gone into the whole parak, that verse to me is part of the significance of of revelation right this is Hashem right. appearing before Ben Israel when they say which we all know is like you know a big deal acceptance of Torah whatever whatever happens before and whatever happens after this moment is a big moment of uh and the idea that this this is in part the description of Merkava, the chariot meaning it's not the description that we get in the Navi in Yechezkel and so on, which is so much more detailed, but this is this is revelation. So I found this kind of juxtaposition of blood, 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 blood in the Gemara with this verse, which is kind of like this lofty, elevated, holy revelation to be really interesting and and for like that it's a it's a lesson. What's the word? An object lesson of what this blood is really all about, because it's so easy for me to kind of get to, I don't want to say turned off, but a little bit, right? Like what's going on with blood? Why are we doing this? Shouldn't we be involved in the, in the loftiness of it? And the answer is, oh, but we are. Right. So someone, I actually, I'm going to say this, uh, I, someone was at my Shabbos table. His name is Rabbi Sam Berkowitz. And uh, we were chatting on this past Friday night and he made an interesting point, which is that the two mitzvot assays that we have that you get curries for, which are Korban Pesach and Bris Mila all involve blood. And so that popped into my head just now when I read this, because it's also interesting that somehow the revelation here is also related to blood. Like we're grossed out by all this blood piece, but I don't, there's, again, it's Dafyomi. I don't have as much time to think about it as I want, but first of all, from a methodological point of view, this is one of those psukim. It was important to read the whole parak. Like if you just oh, read yeah. the pasuk itself, it didn't mean anything. You sort of needed to read the whole parak because the blood piece of those previous nine psukim are also, that's no coincidence for how we end up on this parak explaining the, you know, particular, um, you know, language that the Mishnah uses. And, and so I think the, the easiest answer I could get to is, is that uh, blood is somehow connects us to God. And not only does it connect us to God, 
it's actually supposed to remind us, as you're saying, you know, Anne, about the revelation about Matan Torah. Um, let's all sit with that a little bit. I actually don't want to comment too much more on, on that because I think that's actually a pretty significant and bold thing to think about, but that somehow the blood and the sprinkling of blood is a manifestation of the revelation. That, that's what I come to, uh, you know, a- after reading this small little section here. I think that sitting with it is a good plan. I think that there's, this is a kind of thing that it's not obvious, right? None of this is an obvious, as much as it's revelation, it's not obvious. Let's think, you know, like let's, I, I don't know, maybe the next round of Dafyomi or maybe the next time we hear the Parsha, whatever, you know, it will, next time somebody quotes Nasa Vinishma, it'll ring another bell. Right, maybe it will. So I just want to point out to one other thing and then Anna hands it over to you. We then have a Brisa here, Tanya, Ravi Shmuel Mer, Zevizeh Yisod Ravi, Ravi Shimon Ben Yochai Omer, Zevizeh Dromi. So they're talking about here that both this and that, meaning the blood of the uh, of the of the inner, you know, of what was sprinkled on the the Mizbeach Hazahav, the inner one, and that on the outer one Mizbeach, they were all spilled at the western base of the of the Mizbeach. And Rabbi Shimon Ben Yochai says no, it was at the Southern base. Bishlama Rabbi Shmuel Kasavar Yilmad Satum Mifurash. So Rabbi Shmuel maintains this because he wants to say that we learn the halacha of the outer, right? The chatas that not the chatas of Yom Kippur, but a regular chatas on the western base of the Mizbeach. And so therefore, it's not totally clear. So we're going to derive that from what happened in the inner one. And since we're sorry, I didn't say this correctly. The inner one is explicit that it's on the Western base. So therefore, we're going to learn the outer one. So both of them should be on the Western base, right? So the inner sprinklings are poured at the Western base. So therefore, the remains have to be poured on the outer Mizbeach at the Western base. Elo Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, my time. But Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, what's his reasoning? Because Ravashi explains that he maintains that the entrance of the sanctuary was positioned on the south side of the altar. So the altar was basically not located in the middle of the courtyard, but it was on the north. So the southern base of the altar is what would be closest to the Kohen Gadol when he exits the sanctuary. And then the Gemara says, Tana Debe Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Then they have, right, that there's a different version here that the school of Rabbi Ishmael taught like the school of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Zeviza Yisodromi. Right, that both of them, that that sorry, both of these sprinklings and the pouring took place in the southern uh, part. So it's interesting. So now we have a statement saying no, Rabbi uh, Yishmael, Rabbi Shmuel didn't agree with Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, but he actually moved over and said that it was it was the southern. And so then the Gemara says v'simanach, right? Like here's your sort of mnemonic to remember that there was a change in the position. Mashkua gavra lagavra, right? The men pulled the man, right? Meaning that the, the, I guess it's saying here, the majority overruled individuals. So all of these students or, or the, 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 the baby dress of Rabbi Shimon convinced Rabbi Yishmael, who was an individual, that that was the ruling that was to be accepted. So again, I think we see something interesting here. It's sort of like, how do we end up with Pesach Halacha? We had two different opinions, right? Now, I also want to go back to, it's still amazing to me that the layout of the Mizbeach was something that there was a machlokis over, like where it actually was, was, you know, not necessarily totally understood by everybody. 
Um, and then you add that Ravi Smell really sort of gets convinced in the end that, you know, his understanding of it may not be the correct one. And he goes over to a different opinion very, very willingly. And I, I wonder if some of that willingness is, is because it's not so much based on Midrash Halakha. Like, in other words, this was Misora that was sort of lost. So Rabbi Yishmael had one approach. Okay, we'll learn it from, you know, the what happened in the inner part because the inner Mizbeach, because that's explicit. So we'll just apply that to the outer. And then he sees a different approach. He's like, you know what? This might make more sense. And therefore, he's convinced of it and moves over to that opinion. So this willingness to sort of change uh, is is very interesting to me. I don't think it's as common as we might want it to be. Uh, it sounds like that's fodder for another dissertation, right? How often do the Tanaim and Amoraim, when they have disputes, do they actually shift their opinion to agree with someone else? Not because someone else came along and lined them up to agree. Oh, really, we could apply this to this case and that to that case, and they don't really disagree. I don't mean like that. I mean where one of them actually says, you know what? I'm a cobble your point. I accept what you've said. Let's, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll kind of release what I had been holding on to. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that's just really right. I don't think this is common and that's why it was worth mentioning. Oh, for sure. Okay. So I'm going to come back to the blood and actually I'm going to hopefully, hopefully the Gemara here answers some of the questions we've been asking of like, what did they do with all this blood? And obviously any blood that's on the parochet or that's on the floor or whatever needs to be cleaned. And some of that cleaning, some of it was described as happening miraculously. And some of it, there's people who are doing the work there. But th- this cites our Mishnah, and it talks about actually how some of the blood was then disposed of. So what happens? We're talking about the blood, any of this like kind of leftover blood from the outer altar, right? And then also the leftover blood from the inner altar. They end up being mixed. Where do they mix? They mix. It's actually in it kind of like is a, uh, what's the word? Like a... I don't mean irrigation system. It's like a disposal system, right? There's like a, a running canal, so to speak, beneath the Misbeach, and it will go out. It will Any blood will go out with the water that is used to rinse that whole area to begin with, right? And it will take its, it, it falls out, I guess, of the building to go down to the, to the Nachal Kidron, to the Kidron River. And then, and this I find to be very interesting, this is all like background information, but but we know that it was then sold to gardeners. Why do they do this? This appeared in a previous stuff where we didn't actually talk about it, but it was there, right? The idea that you have to redeem that which is Kodesh, that which is Kodesh. And one of the ways, and we saw this in Shkalim also, right? One of the ways that you redeem something that is, is, has Kedusha is to have it purchased so that then that money acquires the Kedusha and the item loses the Kedusha. It's kind of removed from the item and put onto the money. So the, and then you can use that item because it's no longer kadosh, it's no longer holy for whatever you want to use it for. So there's a lot of it I find interesting here when we say that it's going to that is that the blood is flowing out in the river and then that water with the blood in it ends up being redeemed, whatever, sold to the gardeners. And of course, the point is I assume that the gardeners want to irrigate their fields with this blood because it must be very, you know, forgive me, nutrient rich, right? Like that's the point. Right. So that and then, of course, the problem is that if the blood is not redeemed, I don't know if they kind of missed it or something, then you risk it being an issue of me'ila, that it would be something that is um, consecrated because that blood is, of course, very consecrated. And then if you misuse it, then, then what have you done? Right. So the it, it helps everybody to get the blood out of the Beit HaMikdash 
into the river, but then out of the river or, or you know, in use in this redemptive kind of way so that it doesn't just carry on down the river and then people might use it unknowingly and into unintentionally violate uh, Me'ila. So then, Tanarabhanan, the Gemara continues, Mo'alin B'damim, right? If Again, if you've got these leftover, this leftover blood and you don't redeem it and then you misuse it, right? And that's the Me'ila. And then, so if you do so, then the question is, will this happen to begin with? Would you really be in violation of Me'ila if you misuse this blood that's already been disposed of that's into the river, right? Is it so consecrated that it can't be, that you would never think that this is kind of, I don't know, like, you'll, you know, it's not, it's not garbage, but it's kind of garbage, right? It's that which is disposed of. So once you've disposed of it, does it still count as Me'ila or not? So Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Shimon have a machloket here with Chachamim, where Chachamim say there's no Me'ila issue, meaning you're not going to worry about Me'ila from the from these blood from the blood that is left over in this way and has made its way to the Kidron. And of course, Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Shimon say, yeah, we got to be careful here and in fact worry about Me'ila. So the machloket itself is. I mean, I think it's technically very important, but it's less what grabbed me about the piece. What grabbed me was really this idea that we're the the question of disposal, right? It's garbage disposal or or um, refuse, right? It's it's the leftovers. It's what's not used in the Kodesh way. What do you do with it? How does it work? So, I, I some of this I think was practical. Like you know, once you let the blood go into a water source of course people may take that water. Like, in other words, there's little control over it once it leaves the Beit HaMikdash. And you'll see there's a continuation of this discussion on the next page, you know, even, which is sort of like once the blood has sort of performed its function, can you even consider it Mi'ila at all? And so I think there's an interesting interplay here between like you've done, like you've used it for its purpose. What's the status of it afterwards? But I so can see both sides of this machloket, because on the one hand, Chachamim's position makes sense to me. I mean, it's it's all you've done your Kodesh business and now you've got the leftovers, but that's not Kodesh anymore. Don't worry about Mila. And on the other hand, I feel like, what do you mean? That's the leftovers of that holy service. Clearly, it's still sanctified. And I, I it's not an easy like what you say, you're like one agrees with the next where you wouldn't have expected it here. I feel like this is really a different way of looking at. Um, that which is Kodesh and that which is, like, as we said, the leftover of the Kodesh, you know, whether it's sanctified or not, whether it remains sanctified or not, I think is a potentially truly different outlook on on what it means to have san- so any objects, you know, in this kind of way being sanctified. So I, I appreciate this machloket. I recognize it. I don't think there's an easy out. I Meaning you have to, the paskening is that it's not. Chachamim say it's not. There's no Me'ila here. Right. But, but the I, gardeners seem to pay. Right. But I agree. You can really see both sides of the argument. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Town with Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.